Okay, the baby is not sleeping. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Here We Go podcast experience. My name is Josh Rosenberg. We give her the bottle. We give her the swaddle. We make the room black. We give her a bath. We rock her. We rock her. The baby is not sleeping. On today's podcast, we're going to cover some important topics. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes. Actually, I should clarify, a good review. If you've made it to episode six and you fucking hate it, maybe ease off the review. Maybe get some fresh air, rethink it. Not exactly the best time to write your review. But if you're feeling it, why not? Put it up on iTunes. All right, folks, today I'm going to tell my story. The brutal reality you've been waiting to hear. Actually, not too brutal, but had a guest speaker come into my journalism class this past week, and he was a longtime journalist, still a writer, a print journalist. How old school is that? And he was telling the kids at one point, you know, majoring in journalism, eh, it's not exactly the best idea. Because the fundamentals of journalism, writing a lead, collecting sources, you know, grammar, spelling, punctuation, understand the formatting, if you're really focused and you're really attentive and you put in some time, you could probably learn it in a couple of months. So the idea of you know, going to a four-year university and majoring in journalism, it's not a waste of time, but the guy who was speaking to my class basically said there are other majors that may be more advantageous for entering the real world. Not to say journalism, understanding it, is not helpful in the real world, but you could learn it pretty quickly. And he was absolutely right. And I had never said that to my class because I emphasized journalism. You know, we got to really spend a lot of time learning it. No, you got to spend a lot of time practicing it, doing it. But the fundamentals, actually understanding how to write a story, you could pretty much get that down in a couple of months. Three months, you should understand, you know, what to uppercase, what to lowercase, where to put the period, how to put together the paragraphs, the syntax, writing creatively, writing news writing editorials, writing sports, reviews, being a critic. I think that's the fun part is you could learn it really quickly and then spread your wings and fly and see what type of journalist you want to be. So when I did enter San Diego State, let me take it back to the 90s, 1999, when I believe it was $999 a semester at San Diego State, trying to age myself right now, I decided TV, film, new media. I'm going to be a director. So film was my major for exactly five days before I said, nah, probably not. Probably not for me. So I went to see a counselor on campus, and whatever the discussion became, she guided me toward journalism. You know, I didn't really want to write for newspapers or magazines, didn't see myself as a TV reporter or a TV producer or an anchorman, but I was just racking my brain for professions that seemed cool to me, and the number one face that came to my mind was Greg Papa. And Greg Papa is still the greatest when it comes to sports radio, when it comes to play-by-play, just all-around personality, a good guy. Uh, local broadcaster, should be a national broadcaster, but most people know the name Greg Papa. And when I was growing up, he was doing Warriors TV and Warriors Radio. And ultimately, my final chapter of sports radio led me to a station where I got to work with him, which was very cool. I want to avoid using the term dream job because at some point in this podcast, I'm truly going to define what dream job felt like. That whole idea, that whole concept, which is fluid. I think most people, when they look back, on the many jobs or careers they've had, there were a few times they thought they were attaining a dream job when really, in retrospect, it wasn't. And maybe your dream job is still ahead of you. Hey, motivation. All right, so stumbling through the journalism major at San Diego State, probably not applying myself, getting B pluses, A minuses, easy enough. But my senior year gets to the point where I got to really think about turning this into a profession. 
So I'm thinking maybe I'll, you know, go into the Daily Aztec, the campus newspaper, start writing some articles as if it's just that easy. You know, I'll stumble in and just show me a typewriter. Let's start typing. Give me an ashtray. I'm going to old school journalism it up. A fedora, some suspenders, you know, a pencil thin mustache. I don't know why this image is in my head of an old school print journalist, you know, with a pretty sour attitude. But as I'm just looking through a daily Aztec, I see this big ad. It says, stand-up comedy at the Hot Monkey Love Cafe on El Cajon Boulevard. That was the actual name of this place, the Hot Monkey Love Cafe. Stand-up comedy Monday nights. Come on in. And of course, I've always been a comedy addict. So back then, I figured, here it is. Let's greenlight this career. My path to the spotlight. And I walk into this little coffee house. And the guy who puts the comedy night on, his name was Brian. He looked at me and he said, yeah, you here to watch the show? And I said, no, sir. I'm here to be the show. You gotta love how this story evolves. I probably didn't say that at all. But I said, no, I'd like a few minutes on stage. I was writing some material, some awful material. And he said, yeah, no, no, this is a comedy show, but I do have workshops that I teach. And then I kind of pleaded with him. I was like, come on, buddy. I have some friends coming to see me. And he actually let me go on for about four minutes. And it was not a disaster, at least I don't think. But I went on stage for four minutes and figured, okay, forget journalism. This is what I'm doing. This is the big launch from the Hot Monkey Love Cafe. Next thing, Carnegie Hall. Give me my Comedy Central special. I'm ready. I'm ready to be the next Jim Carrey. To be the next, I don't know, Billy Crystal. Nah, I should just stay with Jim Carrey. Actually, these are not good examples. Just be the next Josh. Hey, how about that? All right. So I start to go on other open mics. And this is at the beginning of my senior year at San Diego State. And it's not going well, but it's not going poorly. It's just exactly the formula of uh, aspiring comic stumbling through five to ten minute sets. Any bar that would have me in IB and OB and PB, beep, 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 all the beach communities. You know, I remember these bars put on comedy nights and I'd get in touch with the bar managers or the bar owners and they'd say, okay, let's see what you got. And it was just good enough to get by making zero dollars and zero cents, but to keep my dream alive. At this instant, I was ready to make the phone call home to let my parents know college has been a totally wasted experience. I'm ready to become a comic. The phone call no parent wants to hear. Mom, Dad, are you sitting down? I'm ready to be a comic. And I was about to make that call. Very close to making that call. Never made that call. Because the following semester, I was taking a journalism class with a professor named Tim Wolfmeyer, and I think this was officially the internship class where you had to take an internship. And I was still striking out thinking, what do I want? TV, print, magazine, radio? What am I even interested in? Keep in mind, this is age 19, age 20, 21. Who really knows? And maybe some people, but who really knows what they want to do at that age? I had a buddy in the class, though, and he also lived in the apartment complex I was living in called the Dorchester. The beautiful Dorch on Montezuma across the street from the Dip. The diplomat and there was a shuttle that brings you to and from campus you know drives you three blocks there's also a shuttle that brings kids from the dorms to tijuana at least there used to be i'm not kidding how dangerous does that sound but this little white van this little shuttle would take us from school back to our apartment and the same guy who i had a class with was the same guy who lived in the apartment complex and we developed a friendship the biggest laker fan i ever met and of course i'm the biggest warrior fan at least in my head i like to say ever so we start talking hoops on the shuttle, and I notice he's in a couple of my classes. And one day I asked him, so what are you doing? You know, they want us to get an internship, and he said, oh, I'm already interning. There's a brand new radio station called The Mighty 1090. With a booming signal, 50,000 watts, 
all the way to the Canadian Rockies. And I Googled it, and it was new. It was just a brand new sports radio station that I had never heard of, the Mighty 1090. And he said I could try to get you in as a promotions intern, which has nothing to do with journalism. Absolutely nothing. You hang banner tape, you pass out keychains and koozies, and you greet people when they walk into restaurants, and you tell people not to get too close to the host. And to me, it sounded phenomenal. I was thinking, really, I could hand out keychains and koozies for my journalism internship? He said, yeah, I'll see what I can do. So he put together a meeting, and in the meeting, I go to the office building where the radio station is located, right off Nobel, off the 5 Freeway, next to the Mormon Church, the Mormon Temple, and I knock on the door, and this lovely lady, Joy, who I still love to this day, she says, you don't have to knock. It's not one of those doors. You just come in. So I come in, and I said, I have a meeting with Alan Sliwa. That's my buddy's name. And remember that name, Alan Sliwa, because it eventually becomes the crescendo of this entire story. So Alan's there, and even though he's my age, he looks like he belongs there. Like he's very savvy. He's very polished, very mature. He's probably already almost running the promotions department. He's one of those guys. Very competent. And he brings me into a side conference room with a lady named Marty Caswell. And then eventually at the end of the meeting, the guy who really ran promotions, his name was Rich Bachman. I'm just going to give you a ton of names during this podcast. Most of you will not know these names, but if you do, it makes it a little more fun. So here's how my interview went. It was Marty and Alan Sliwa, and they said, can you hang banners? And I said, yes. And they said, you're hired. Of course, it's just an internship, but yeah, I could hang banners. I'm pretty decent with duct tape. Give me some scissors. I think another question was, can you go up to people and hand them free t-shirts? Yup. All right, so I'm in. There it is. Foot in the door, which is the greatest piece of advice to give to anybody who wants to enter radio. You got to intern. You got to just get your foot in the door and observe how it looks. Observe how it works. Don't kick in the door. Don't try to be in the spotlight too soon, but just, you know, come in slowly, quietly, observe it. And that was me. I was just happy to be in the building. I'm not going to use the word dream job first, but it felt like a dream internship. I guess that's the level of laziness I was experiencing too, because it sounded just so damn easy. Send you to a Padres game, a Chargers game, an Aztecs game, a sports bar, a golf tournament, and you just pass out a bunch of shit. Okay, easy enough. And I loved it. But let me just fast forward this story so it doesn't get too dull. I don't want it to drag, but one day there's a Mighty 1090 station event at a Hooters. And one of the anchors, one of the sports update guys at the time, Ernie Martinez, he was having a beer and he said, what's your name, lad? And he put his hand on my head. What's your name, lad? I said, Josh. Okay, this is not the dialogue. I might as well just go with the real story. He said, you realize you're allowed to come into the radio station and actually watch some of the radio shows. You don't just have to pass out koozies, keychains, and hang banner tape. And I thought, really? I can come in? He said, yeah. Take a look at the master calendar. You'll see my next shift as I'm doing my sports updates. You can come in there and see how I write a script, see how I turn a mic on, how I edit sound. And I did the very next week. And Ernie, truly the nicest guy, he was so damn helpful. And he's been in the game for a long time. He's been producing radio. He's been grabbing guests for shows for years. Just a great guy. And he shows me the ropes and watching him just do live radio. And, you know, looking through the glass and seeing Ted Leitner do a live radio show just gave me that feeling of, okay, yep, this is what I want to do. It just looked way too fun. And then just knowing that Ernie said, you know, you can come in, create your own internship. You don't have to be a promotions intern, create your own. I started to come in every day and learn how to run the board, 
I'll bring you your coffee. I'll bring you your lunch, whatever you need. I'll park your car. You know, just willing to be a true bitch. But slowly you become part of the team. If you fit into a place, like Too Short said, life is too short, you got to get in where you fit in. You know, they'll notice. People above you will notice that you just fit in. You're a piece of the puzzle. And even more than, you know, understanding how radio worked and observing radio shows, I loved the sports pit. And this is the area where people just hang out and have hot, heated sports debates and generate topics. And this is where producers are running with their heads on fire trying to get a guest at the last minute. This is where hosts are yelling back to board ops. It's just this vibrant area, the sports pit. And in this pit, at any given time, seven to ten people just shooting the shit, having a good time, but there's also work happening simultaneously. It's like a beautiful sight. Not quite a green room, I wouldn't call it, but, you know, there's TVs showing sports, there's live radio feeds, blasting audio, and there's people actually working and then everybody from sales and promotions, it's like a confluence of a bunch of brains coming together. It's like a sports stew. And in this specific sports pit, I'm just, you know, racking my brain right now. There was Killer Kellison, Brian Kellison, Herman Gassaway, Tommy Howell, Clubber Klebowski, Brian Wilson. You know, and anchors at this station at the time was Pete Tenney, Alan Horton. If you know any of these names, most of them have moved on into a different direction. Some are still in radio. Mike Jackson. Brian Wilson and Mike Costa. And this is the early days of 1090. So on the air, you know, Fricky, Cantera, Scott Kaplan, Billy Ray Smith, Philly Billy Wendell, Steve Mason before Darren took over, Ted Leitner, Matt Vescursion was still there, I think, towards the tail end of his run. And everybody at 1090 is kind of at the tail end of their run. It just seemed like that's how the station worked. You know, they hired a lot of people when they first launched. And then slowly, most people saw the door, at the door, out the door. And at this point, comedy's not the dream anymore. It's not even really at the forefront of my thoughts. I think I'm still doing once in a while, maybe an open mic night, but really putting my focus into sports radio with zero intentions of staying with the Mighty 1090. You know, I'm putting together a tape. Ernie is helping me cut a CD. Petco Park just opened, so I'm using actual sound from Jerry Coleman, you know, throw into a Sean Burroughs RBI game-winning single. And it really sounds professional. I got a cover letter. And I finally have something on the resume. Intern, sports radio, BCA. And I'm sending it out to any city in America. And I would have gone anywhere. It's true. I was ready to be a radio vagabond. I remember I applied to a station in Colorado, a station in Vermont, a station in Illinois. And I'm not talking about big cities. Tiny little suburbs. A station in Missouri, a station in Florida, a station in Oregon. Just putting things in the mail. I think I got one call back, but nobody's biting. Nobody cares. So I think this is 2003 or 2004, and as I'm ready to say goodbye and thank everybody for a fun internship, uh, Joe Titino, he said, are you interested in learning how to run the board, maybe do a sports update? And I said, are you fucking kidding? Hell yes. And he could have offered me a $2 bill every month, but I think it was, you know, just some hourly salary, hourly wage. And I was ready, eager, let's do it. So they hired me. And I transitioned out of college into a radio station. Probably zero ability to support myself, but hey, I'm in the building. And then the amount of people that were coming and going at this radio station, soon people would take a vacation. We need you to run the board. Soon people are going on vacation. We need you to do a sports update. And it slowly became what I thought was a dream job. It felt dreamy. And Alan Sliwa, I'm going to bring up his name again, he went into the sales department. He also was hired and he was a sales guy, radio sales, which sounds like a really tough job. 
Sounds pretty cutthroat. Very competitive. Not a lot of security. This is one of those jobs where you see a lot of people, you know, try so hard at first, get stressed out, and then just say, nope, not for me. Never again. Or some people are savvy enough to stay with it. And Alan was. Alan made a great career out of it. But I'm going to use his name towards the end of this podcast to prove that I've already been doing a podcast many, many years ago. 15 years ago, I was doing podcasts. Now, there was no microphone, was not being recorded, of course, but I still feel like I was on the cutting edge of whatever this medium is or is intended to be, which is a beautiful thing, as I've said. I love these podcasts. Love listening. Now, I think I love doing it. Let's keep it rolling. Now, as I remember it, because it's many years ago, just to keep the story going, but now I'm an employee and I'm seeing a lot of the older guys who felt like they were overqualified to do sports updates, you know, want to take a day off here and a day off there, a week off here and a week off there. So my name's starting to become one of the names in the rotation. You know, I'm a utility player off the bench, but still I seem to be working six, seven days a week, any shift. Give me nights, give me morning, give me afternoon. I'll work with any show. I'll do anything. You know, the good old fashioned wide eyed young kid. Who's not jaded yet, but I did notice a lot of people were jaded, which sounds weird to most people. Sports radio sounds like such, such an enjoyable profession. Why is anybody jaded? Why is anybody bitter? Well, usually wages, but also it's kind of a toxic environment at times. You get the feeling like some people just can't wait for you to get fired or maybe people want to stab you in the back. It's, it's weird. Although I loved everybody there. As I grew up, I started to realize, oh, okay, you know, maybe some of the relationships are not as tight. So one year goes by, two years go by, and at this point I realize, you know, something, I could do this, I could do this. I want to get a show, or at least be a part of a show. So I go to Bill Pugh, and Bill Pugh, great guy, loved to shoot the shit with him, just about music, didn't even talk sports with Bill. He was the program director back then at 1090, and I wrote him an email, I said, Bill, I don't care when, but I'd like a shot. I'd like to get on one of these radio shows, and he wrote back, I'm already ahead of you. As in, he was already pushing the agenda for me. So, great to have Bill in my corner. And his brother is Dan Patrick. And his niece, Maggie, is one of my best friends to this day. Uh, so, still good friends with that family. And I think it started, you know, Sunday mornings. You know, get on an NFL show. Saturdays, do a college football show. They put me with so many different people throughout the first two years of putting me on air. And so many different shows. There was High Noon Headlines, The Tailgaters. There was a show with Doug Wilkerson. There was a show where Frank Anthony, who was the PA voice of Petco Park for many years, would come and join me. There was a show I did with Brian Wilson called Real Men of Genius. And when I say show, these shows probably lasted for a month or two. It's the most volatile radio station. Shows are coming, shows are going. Schedules are changing every single season. But I was, of course, willing to work with anybody, so just throw me in the mix. They even brought in a former Minnesota twin, Denny Hawking, to do a show with me. And I realized, okay, none of these shows are working, hoping I wasn't the common denominator. And as fun as it was, I was thinking, I need a little consistency. And about this time, you know, Brian Wilson had left, crossed the street to Clear Channel. There was some talk that they were going to launch a sports radio station, which is now, of course, Extra Sports 1360. And I'm in touch with Brian, and he says, yeah, eventually we'd like to bring you over. And I said, hell yes. And there was an opportunity to do a show after the morning show, which was Dave and Jeff. I'm still in touch with those guys, and they're doing an awesome podcast as well. And that's when I got to meet Dave and Jeff and Chris Ello, who also was at 1090. He came over with me. That's when I met Craig Elston as well, and we launched this new station 2007. All right, I'm going to stop the story there. Eventually, I'll get more into radio, but I feel like I've alienated some people that 
might truly not care about this topic. So let me rewind. When I say I've already done podcasts, even though this is episode number six, Alan Sliwa, I've noticed the guy from sales, the guy from my journalism class, the guy from my apartment complex going back 2002, 2003. Well, I've noticed through Twitter that he is now doing Lakers post-game shows. Biggest Laker fan ever. He's on ESPN LA 710 now, and he does the Lakers post-game show. That is a full circle story. But here's where it really becomes full circle. We were talking when we were just hanging up banners and passing out keychains and koozies. Hey, promotions, kids. Can you guys go there? Can you go here? Can you go to the OGs? Can you go to the Buffalo Wild Wings? Can you go to the Hooters? Yes, yes, yes. We said yes to everything. So it's a good thing we liked each other and we became good buddies. But because he would drive us all over the place in his truck, we decided let's just do our own simulations of sports radio shows let's do a mock sports radio show in his truck on these drives we would have the radio off and we would actually just try to simulate what a radio show sounded like but we never sent it to commercial there were no topics we had to get to of course no guests these are just two idiots sitting in a truck doing a sports radio show that no one's listening to but it felt like the original recipe for what podcasts became and alan was so good so funny so bright so witty just a really funny informed, bright guy. And the conversations were so good. And then we'd get to the event and we'd, you know, see Philly Billy or Steve Mason or whoever it was, Scott and BR. And we'd, you know, see what they were doing on their shows. And we never said, oh, we're better than them. We were never those kind of assholes who said, oh, we're the promotions interns and we're better than the hosts. But we also realized, you know something, this is not rocket science. We can do this. This is not chemistry. This is not science. And I do want to get to science later in this podcast. Don't fall asleep. Don't you dare fall asleep on me. But it was like, you know, we could do this. We could talk Aztecs, talk Padres, interview a guest. And when I finally did become a sports radio host, I realized, yeah, those little podcasts that were not even podcasts, because that was not even a term back in 2003, it was helpful. It was like practice. And now it's 2018. And believe it or not, I don't miss sports radio. I'll explain that some other time. But I saw Alan Sliwa is currently living his dream. I don't know how he transitioned out of sales or if he's still in sales. You know, we're kind of in touch text once in a while, but I was just so stoked to see that he is now on ESPN 710 doing the Lakers postgame shows. And I hope his listeners understand just how passionate he is about that team. And I love the fact that the Lakers are not good right now because that makes for better postgame shows. Let's be honest. Dominant teams have boring postgame shows. Because good post-game shows have the best complainers. Dominant teams have calls like this. Hey guys, I, I hope they stay the course. I'm really enjoying what I, what I see. That's my snoring sound effect. Boring. But after those heartbreaking Chargers losses, when I was doing the Chargers post-game shows, there were some really entertaining calls because people were so pissed off. Not to say I loved the post-game shows when the Chargers would lose, but yeah, there was some aspect of entertainment to it when the fans are all so collectively pissed off and i've lived most of my life that way cheering for shitty teams myself all right so a little science before i go and i don't even know if this is science i do realize that i must have tuned out every science teacher i've ever had from kindergarten all the way through elementary school all the way through middle school all the way through high school and i even think i took a couple science classes in college tuned them all out i don't know why it was just boring for me i clearly was in classrooms with Students that did enjoy it, who learned it the first time. But now I go back and I learn certain things about science and it blows my mind. 
you know, just hearing Neil deGrasse Tyson speak about we are made of energy. So when we die, energy transfers, which means we can have some hope that our energy goes to a different place in the galaxy. And maybe we come back as something else or we just transfer into a different sphere. I don't know. But Neil deGrasse Tyson can speak at a level that I kind of understand. So I like to relay this stuff. I get so excited when I hear about it. But the most recent thing I heard in the science world that was pretty interesting was that our bodies, our brains, produce a hormone, dopamine, you know, releasing levels of serotonin and endorphins. And we have these transmitters in our brain that release them and they make us feel happy. And when you're a kid, you don't even realize that these transmitters are pumping out dopamine, this chemical that makes us happy. Hey, it brings joy. Because when you're a kid, you're naturally doing things outdoors and you're playing sports and you get recess and you get snack time and you get some nap time and all that is so healthy. But as you age, these transmitters that are releasing all that good old fashioned dopamine, they become dull and they wear out and they get old like an old slipper. So it's up to us as we age to find ways to bring the dopamine back. So some people go surfing, some people go hiking. Some people might turn to substances, a little wine here, a little beer there, or other substances. You know what I mean. Some people go swimming. This is why people go to the gym. This is why maybe people do podcasts or paint or have creative outlets. Because as you age, you need it. My grandpa, he did stained glass art for so many years. And I guarantee that was his way of generating endorphins, you know, generating happiness. I just think it's funny that as adults, you have to find things that are not in your day-to-day schedule, you actually have to put them on the calendar to make sure endorphins are being released. And sometimes it sounds like a drag. You just want to be lazy, sit on the couch, not realizing that just going on the treadmill for 20 minutes is going to make you feel a little better. You know, just going on a dog walk for 30 minutes, it's going to make you feel a little better. Meditating for 10 minutes, trying to focus on your breath will make you feel a little better. Now, as we have this dopamine, and by now you could probably turn the podcast off because you're like, I liked the radio story, but the science bullshit I could do without. But as we have the dopamine, we also have this natural chemical, hormone, whatever it's called, and I'm probably butchering all this, called cortisol. And that's where the stress comes from. And this cortisol builds up. And it's triggered. It's constantly triggered. And as we age, for some reason it's tougher to manage. This is the game of life. I think our brains were designed in a weird way. As we've evolved as humans, this is the game of trying to just feel normal. How many people, without adding anything to their lives, are continuously feeling good, normal, happy? No, this is why most people in this country need something, need a vice. Whether it's yoga, or playing video games on their phone, or shaking up a martini a few times a week, whatever it is, there are so many people that are navigating through this thing called life and just trying to find the perfect recipe to keep things feeling good. Yet oddly, and maybe this is just my theory, we weren't born that way. We were born to deteriorate. We were born to stress out. We were born to worry about shit. So you got to find a path. Did this just get preachy all of a sudden? That was not the intent. All right, I'm ending with this. Here's the last time I had the dopamine shooting through my brain after the cortisol overtook me. Thursdays at lunch. It's usually where I unintentionally stress out. I don't know why. Probably have some grading to do, some lesson planning to do, probably sleep deprived like a motherfucker. But Thursdays at lunch, usually I hit the pinnacle of stress and just feeling worn out. Thursdays at lunch also mark the time of the week that my ukulele club meets. What? Now, I don't really even play the ukulele. 
But one of my students in journalism said, Mr. Rosenberg, could you host the ukulele club? I'm a grown ass man. And I said, eh, I don't know. She said, please. And I said, of course. Okay, yes, yes. I'm now the head of the ukulele club. Didn't know what it entailed. Now it's freshmen. These are kids that I don't have. These are not my students. But every Thursday, these girls come in with about eight to 10 ukuleles, sit around and they bring the chord books. They bring the song books with the lyrics. And then other kids have come. And now they set up chess. And these kids play games. And I've noticed that it's spread like wildfire. My ukulele club now has kids in the corner talking about politics. You know, these 14, 15-year-olds discussing politics. And these other 14, 15-year-olds playing chess. And then I'm sitting there in the middle of my room with these girls who I don't know at all. They're not my students. They just come in. They could not be cooler. And they teach me ukulele once a week, Thursdays at lunch. It is the greatest experience that I never look forward to. It's the exact contrast of reaching that moment where you go, oh, this sucks. I'm out of my mind. I have so much to do. And then you just ease into it. And the sound of about five people playing ukulele and singing a Tracy Chapman song as I try to hit the register, as I try to keep up. And they all laugh at me because I can't sing. But I try. Oh, I try. Give me one reason to stay here. And I'll turn right back around Anything. Bob Dylan, Neil Young, The Beatles, Paul Simon. We do it all. So I realized for the rest of my life, I'm going to need a dog. I'm a dog guy. That's where I find some endorphins as well. I don't know how dogs were designed to make us people so happy, but I think I'm always going to need a ukulele club. Even when I retire from teaching, I'm probably going to have to just tell my neighbors wherever I live, come on over Thursdays at lunch, break out the ukuleles and let's get after it. All right, that'll do it. Leave a review on iTunes if you want, uh, but if that sounds like homework, hey, you don't have to. This is free, but I enjoy you tuning in. You can check me out on Twitter at jrosenberg957, episode six in the books. I'll talk to you soon.